Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We are estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven women that are killing it in life. And they deserve to be celebrated. So on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and then in between those interview episodes, we'll be doing segments where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be (laughs) chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and just learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun, and we We have a super multicultural community, and we kind of think that you might too, so why not talk all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Hell yes. (laughs) Um, Also, we'll be answering listener questions, so make sure to write to us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. Alright guys, so let's jump into the show. Bye. Hey guys. Hey. So we're here for another episode and today we are interviewing Alyssa Rumsey. She is a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, certified intuitive eating counselor, and she's the author of Unapologetic Eating, Make Peace with Food and Transform Your Life. So that book is on pre-order. It comes out next year. You should pre-order it. It sounds awesome. After you listen to this episode, you'll understand why. So Alyssa is the founder of Alyssa Rumsey Nutrition and Wellness, a weight-inclusive nutrition practice that offers virtual counseling and online programs to help people liberate themselves from dieting, cultivate a peaceful relationship to food in their bodies, and live a more authentic, connected life. I think that sounds pretty fucking amazing. (laughs) She's really passionate about advocating for women to reclaim the space to eat and live unapologetically, which is huge because as we know... Being a woman is fucking hard sometimes in this world. Mm -hmm. And I think that Instagram makes that worse. But as we say in this episode, it can also make it better because there are so many baddies on there who make us love ourselves because they love themselves. Yeah. And something really interesting, I think, about Alyssa is that she is woke. (laughs) Very woke. You know, it's it's this is an interesting episode, I think, because it's not just about like dieting, which Honestly, when Alex pitched us this uh, guest, I was kind of like, all right, I'm not really that interested in this one. We'll do it because I love Alex. And at the end, it was really more so just about being 
a woman and taking control of who you are against the patriarchy and against white supremacy and against what everybody's telling that you that you should be and to listen to your body in all aspects. Just she, she specializes in the aspect of food. Yes. And as we come to find out, when you make your relationship with food better, you kind of just make your life better. Other things fall into place. It makes so much sense, but I had never really thought much about it. Yeah. I'm really excited for all of you to hear this. I think that anyone can relate, but especially if you've dealt with an eating disorder or disordered eating, or maybe you're interested in seeing a nutritionist, but you've always kind of felt like it's this diety thing. I think Alyssa will change your mind. Mm-hmm. So I hope that you enjoy this interview. We loved it. We had a great time with her. Yeah, guys, enjoy our interview today with Alyssa Rumsey. So I'm Melissa Rumsey. I am a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, certified intuitive eating counselor, and I own a weight-inclusive virtual private practice based in New York City, but obviously work with people from all over the place. That's really awesome. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Connecticut. So I grew up, but not like close to New York, Connecticut. I'm always like, not like that Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> You're like deep in the like- woods. <laughs> Deep, oh, totally. Like, deep in the woods, like, up in the Berkshires and, like, northern, like, northwest Connecticut. She loves the Berkshires. Berkshires. Yeah. I've I've never been. Well, we're going to take a trip there soon for sure. I've only been to the Massachusetts side, but I love the Berkshires because it's similar to where I grew up, but not where I grew up. Oh, okay. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Catskills. Oh, yeah. Very similar. Yeah. So, and that's where kind of everybody's going now that's our age and, like, cool from New York and... I'm kind of good on it, so <laughs> it's a good yeah. alternative. Wait, so is it kind of rural out there? Oh, it's so rural. It's so funny because, I mean, growing up, so my town had 1,200 people. <laughs> so Very growing small. up, I was like, and it's just like all like white bread, just like no diversity. And, I, and like everyone knows everybody. So like you come into high school like Monday morning and everyone knows what happened that weekend. And I was so ready to leave. And now it's hysterical. I've been in New York for 12 years and my partner and I rented a house in the Berkshires last summer. And I was like, when I was a kid, I used to be like, who rents a house up here? Like, why would you come here? Like, <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, now oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And you like make fun of the city people like, oh, my God, those city people. They're so dumb. What are they doing coming up here? I grew up in a similar place, but you guys were double us. So I grew up in a town of 600. You grew up in a town of 1,200. But it's the mm-hmm. same amount of tiny. I, I know exactly. Yeah. 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 There were, I think like 12,000 people in the town I grew up in on Long Island. Really? <laughs> it was not a small town. My mom used to say like the most crass thing that's kind of the greatest thing ever. She would say, if you farted on one side of town, the other side of town would know about it before it had a chance to clear the air. <laughs> that's one <laughs> <what> analogy. <laughs> and it kind of perfectly sums up Narrowsburg, I think. It's just like crass enough. To well, Narrowsburg is literally up. narrow, and yeah. I was there, so I can speak to that. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's a cute town, though. But I need to go to the Berkshires. That's on my list. We're gonna go. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. What was it like growing up there? Did you have like a nice childhood because of it? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think I loved it as a kid. I mean, I think it was, yeah, it was very rural. It was very safe. There was like, you know, everybody had lots of land, and so you just go like. I mean, this was also like the 80s, right? So you just like go play in the woods all day. And, That's um, 
you know, I also, so obviously our town was small, so my class was small, but it was mostly girls, actually. There was, like, a class of 18, and there were 16 girls, which was great until we got to, like, sixth grade, and then <laughs> yeah. it was like, okay. Oh, my God, slim picking. Yeah. Did you have a high school boyfriend? So our high school, luckily, middle school and high school, starting in seventh grade, four towns came together. So my okay. graduating class was actually, like, 180, mm-hmm. so much more reasonable than right. 12. Still mine yeah, was, yeah. like, six. Yeah. 650 yeah. or something. Although no. my high school boyfriend was not even from my t- – he was from, like, the other high school. He wasn't even from my high I school. mean, yeah, you got to, like, travel a little when you're <laughs> – to find a oh, boyfriend yeah. when you live in a small town. Was it yeah. like that for you? 100% it was like that. It was exactly the same. I had graduated in a class of 150, I think. And that's because we merged with two other school districts. My elementary and middle school was a class of, like – 25 30 and we were the big class obviously you guys were 18 we were 30 so you know <laughs> oh my god but yeah this is so funny to me it's also country shit i like to talk about country shit because not a lot of people know the what you and i know like the true country shit like looking out so i grew up on a lake and <laughs> when we go upstate and you know and you look across the lake you can see the water line and so sometimes i'll say to my boyfriend like oh yeah it was a not a lot of water this summer, huh? It didn't rain a ton. He's like, you're country ass. How do you even know that? <laughs> What's going on? I love yeah. That. What made your parents move there? Are they from there? My my dad was actually born in New York City and lived mm. here till he was eight and then grew up in Westchester. My mom was born and raised in Connecticut. And then, yeah, my dad had moved to actually like Massachusetts, I think kind of like Berkshires with his first wife and just like ended up staying there. And then my mom, similar, were like, both of them ended up like right in the area where I grew up. So, oh, that's cute. I kind yeah. of think I don't want children, but if I had them, I think I'd like to raise them in the woods like that. Like maybe mm-hmm. they wouldn't get good internet, so they wouldn't <laughs> like go on the computer. I mean, that's like not. How is, how is the dial up out there? <laughs> it's a, dude, it's the opposite now. Everybody's on Facebook when you live in the middle of the nowhere. That's oh the problem. Oh my god, you yeah. just live there because there's no people. Right. You're searching for a, like anybody. Oh my god. Anybody besides Lots like of the on, nine Did you have boys. a lot of online boyfriends? Oh no, because that was like way before. I mean, I did like you know the the old school chat room yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. ASL. ASL. I was just yeah. about to say that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, my friends and I used to, used to, like, poke around with that, but we used to, like, literally, I was talking about this someone recently, we'd have, like, sleepovers, and this was obviously, like, before we had our license, so, like, early high school, middle school, and we would, like, call, do you guys remember Delia's? Yes! Oh of course. We would, like, yes. call Delia's at, like, midnight, and just, I actually have my own phone line, which is a big deal, because my parents both had, like, their own businesses, so yes. I had my own phone line. So we called Delia's in like the middle of the night and like order catalogs for all our guy friends like secretly and then just <laughs> chat with the magazine. This is how you used to order catalogs. You used to have to call. Yes, yeah. I remember. Gosh. So, uh, so yeah, that's what we used to do for fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. Honestly, the Delia's catalog holds a very special place in my heart. That's yes. where I ordered my very first pair of flared cargo Me khaki too. pants. Stop. Oh my god! Yeah, I wish I still yeah. had them. They had the widest legs. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> Biggest openings. You couldn't find those at the fashion. So that's boat. one thing we all have in common. Whether you lived in a city, we all have a regular Delia's. town, a rural town. You all loved Delia's. Yeah, Delia's <laughs> in yeah, the yes. '90s. Cargo um, flares. <laughs> so when did you? At what point? Like when you were in high school, did you feel like you already knew you wanted to do something with nutrition? So my kind of nutrition journey. So. 
I mean, I, as a kid, so I was like super active. I played a lot of sports. Mm -hmm. I was naturally thin. Um, and so I like never thought about what I ate. Like food was pretty unrestricted in my house. Like, you know, we had whatever. I was like a picky eater. You know, I like pasta and like, I didn't like vegetables and like pop tarts. And I was just like very picky. Yeah. <laughs> I got back into those this summer. Oh my God. Actually, my husband bought them recently and it was the first time I've had them in maybe 15 years. I don't, okay. I think he didn't get the flavor that I liked because they weren't what I remembered, but he doesn't like the frosted ones. So they weren't oh. frosted. No, no you gotta get strange? the brown sugar, non-frosted. Brown sugar, yes. yes. Okay, he yeah, got strawberry. Favorite. He said that was his favorite. Maybe I should. Yeah, Florida. <laughs> Florida. He's from Florida, so you know they do weird shit. They like weird shit. Um, keep going. Sorry. Frosted all the way. Um. So yeah. So that was kind of you know when I was active and like yeah, just kind of ate whatever. Like never thought about food. Never thought about nutrition. And then um, in high school, I hit puberty, and that coincided with I actually stopped playing basketball, which was, like, one of my main sports. And so I gained some weight. And then, of course, like, promptly freaked out and ended up going to Weight Watchers with my mom. Was it, and like, did your mom, like, force that on you or you wanted No. To? It wasn't forced on me. I remember it being more just, like, she was going at the time. And I don't remember that being, like, a big thing. Like, I don't have, like, strong memory. Mm -hmm. But, like... I was gaining weight and I think I like asked her what I could do or I saw like, you know, the yeah. like counter stuff, which at that time was not an app. It was like a little booklet. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had a friend uh, in high school on Weight Watchers. Yeah. And so I did that for a little bit. And then my senior year of high school, I was taking a AP biology class. And at that point I was like applying to schools like undecided or like pre-law. Thank God I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Or like <laughs> women's studies. <laughs> Yeah, thank God didn't go down the, the law route. Um, and yeah, I was in this biology class. And so also at the same time I was starting, because I had stopped playing some sports, my mom worked at a tennis club that had a gym. And so I had free access. So I was starting to like work out a little bit and this trainer befriended me. And, and then this biology class, we get to the part on digestion. And I was just like super fascinated by kind of like the inner workings of the body. Mm. And then it was kind of like a, coincided with like, applying to schools, you know, looking at schools and being like, oh, wait, this is a career, like dietitian. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, my eating at that point was like pretty disordered in the sense of like, I never had an eating disorder, but counted points, like counted calories, like thought a lot about what I was eating. I actually recently found when I was cleaning out my dad's basement, I found a project from my senior year bio class of like a food journal. Mm. And like, holy shit, I was like, eating maybe like half of what I needed but literally right at the top my teacher had written like wow you have such a great a healthy diet like I need to be more like you mm -hmm. meanwhile like my day's worth of food is like half of what I needed so like you Weird know my positive reinforcement for like fucked up eating habits right totally I mean yeah that's just like so our culture which we can get into but um so yeah so my like decision to become a dietitian came certainly from an interest in like health but also from like a pretty disordered place. Yeah. Were you kind of thinking like, oh, I'll know how to like stay skinny and like help other people be skinny or do you not really think that deep into it at the time? Oh yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, and I feel like it's still kind of the case to this day of, you know, the idea of like health equals thin and like, okay, like I can help people be healthy, but like the undercurrent of that is always thin or like weight loss. Um, and you know, like, 
I think I also really liked kind of this identity that I had. So this was in, you know, the early 2000s. So nutrition um, was not what it is now today. Um, So like, you know, most of my classmates, like we're not paying attention to this. So I was like getting attention for eating these like healthy foods. And I like liked that like morality kind of feeling of being like, well, I'm being, I'm like eating so good. And, um, and for many years, my identity was like wrapped up in, you know, being a nutrition major and like, you know, I also, I double majored with exercise science and I like worked at the gym and the personal trainer. And so like, so much of my identity was wrapped up in that. Um, and yeah, of course, like definitely the undercurrent was like staying thin and like being thin. Mm, totally. I have to imagine that if you ask, I don't want to assume this, but I'm kind of assuming it, that if you asked any woman about their relationship with food, like either now or in the past, I think everyone's had a problem, whether it was yeah. like a full-blown eating disorder or like you said, disordered eating. I'm sure anyone could really, I'm sure men too. But I know for me in high school, I totally had an eating disorder at one point and I had gotten very thin. And I don't even remember if my mindset was that, oh, I need to be thin or that it was just like the control factor of it because I was having issues at home and issues with a boyfriend and stuff like that. But it was very fucked up. It's like a very fucked up mental problem. Oh, totally. Totally. And I think that's what people are like you know, oh, they just want to be skinny. And it's, it. there's always, and I have like a whole chapter in my book of like all the things that go into like what makes someone like try to diet or try to like control their food intake. And yeah, I mean, statistically, it's about three out of four women at any point in time are like thinking or acting or behaving in a disordered way around food. And about like 10% of that would qualify as a clinical eating disorder, um, whether anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder, or there's some unspecified ones. So about like 65% of women have like some form of disordered eating. And yeah, I certainly find that like the vast majority, and unfortunately we're seeing more and more men. um, But yeah, kind of I pictured like this spectrum of disordered eating and dieting. I actually just did an Instagram post about this the other day that's gotten a lot of traction around like dieting is the most common form of disordered eating. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, I think of Weight Watchers and how that's been so normalized because it's this big company, I guess, right there company, yeah. And the point situation and how like, oh, well, it's better because you're not counting calories. Yeah, but you're counting points. It's just as obsessive. Mm-hmm. I well, imagine. Too, is it's like, you know, this idea that mm-hmm. you have to. So what you're saying is only very, very recently that that the ideal has been to like healthy, like looking healthy, looking strong, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, like maybe within the last like 10 years and up, like especially in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was all like this anor- like this heroin chic look was yeah. in. Right. And so it was. Like- cool to be like this like this you know everyone's scooping themselves from the fat-free potato chips (laughs) you know yeah it's like a crazy time 100 percent. it's also fucked up because a lot of what it comes down to is like not even necessarily the male gaze but just like this idea of what like how we are supposed to look and how we're supposed to look for other people and like it's funny because i always thought that I was heavy growing up, but it's just because I was like the only black girl in a town with like all white kids who were like super, they were just built differently, do you know? Yeah. And I was looking at a picture recently and I was like, wow, I was just like a regular looking kid. I wasn't skinny, I wasn't fat, mm-hmm. I was just like a normal looking person, but how body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. it starts at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And in an age where like, you don't even know mm-hmm. what your body is supposed to look like, but you know what people are telling you what it's supposed to look like, so you're basing everything about yeah. you, yep. about these ideals that don't even 
totally. really relate to you whatsoever, right? I mean, I remember being 10 years old because I was always obsessed with the teen magazines. So maybe I was like 11 or 12, yeah. right? And my mom would buy them. My dad did not want me reading them, and I get it now. Mm-hmm. I think for him it was more like he didn't want me reading about sex stuff, but maybe this kind of stuff too. But I think that's part of why at a young age I felt like I didn't look right. And I also got my period very young. I was like 10 or 11, and I, same mm-hmm. as you, like started mm-hmm. to put on weight. And I remember doing the exercises from like teen magazine in my bedroom. And it wasn't because I was like, this is healthy and good. It was like, oh, I like my thighs are fat, you know, sad at a really young age. Yeah. Yeah. Really fucking sad. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's like disseminated through like everything, right? Like Mm -hmm. this like ideal body type, Mm -hmm. like media, magazines, TV shows, um, you know, parents, healthcare providers, like socialization with like school um, and just to like throw this statistic out because this was like mind boggling to me the first time I heard it. So the average woman naturally gains 40 to 50 pounds during puberty. Like that is natural wow. weight. Wow. 40 to 50 pounds. Yeah. So like, you know, I gained maybe like 10 and was panicking, right? Mm-hmm. Like me and like naturally, and this is usually, again, it's, it's an average, but like between like age 12 and 18, yeah. um, you know, it's usually like five to 10 pounds a year. And that's totally natural. That's like mm-hmm. your body doing what it's supposed to do. Right. Yet, because of the culture that we live in, that's immediately seen as like, oh, this is a bad thing. And that's mm-hmm. often where a lot of women's struggles start is mm-hmm. at that time period. It's really crazy. Um, I'm wondering, so when in your career did you kind of take on more of this idea of intuitive eating and more body positivity and kind of (laughs) steered away from like the diets yeah because I imagine traditional nutrition stuff that you learn in school I don't I don't know this is an assumption but I'm assuming when you deal with your patients or your clients is it more like you're taught to give them a specific plan to help them lose weight is that kind of the basics of what you're taught well, so certainly, like, our education system, I mean, for dietitians, but also for, like, all healthcare professionals is what we consider weight-centric, meaning, like, weight is seen as a accurate measure of health. Like, so weight and BMI are used to assess the health of a person, and in that frame, like, weight loss is recommended as something for health. Mm-hmm. So we consider that, like, weight-centric. So, yes, like, all my education was about that. It was like, okay, someone has diabetes, like teach them carb counting, help them lose like a certain percentage of their weight. Like it was Mm -hmm. always interrelated. And, you know, certainly like, so in my twenties, kind of just like naturally, like not really on purpose, I started to develop a better relationship with food. I think it was a lot. Moved to New York city. I got like really into just like the food culture here and the restaurant culture. And, um, I was lucky because disordered eating, needless to say, is like very common in nutrition students. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was very lucky that like the, I worked at a big hospital in New York city for the first couple of years when I moved here and like my friends became the dietitians there and we were all like in our twenties and they all actually had like very healthy relationships with food. So I think just like being around that kind of rubbed off on me and then like living with roommates and being exposed, like having foods like kept in the house that normally I wouldn't keep in the house. It just like naturally happened over the course of like my twenties. And like through that, I think I also got into more like mindful eating and like mindfulness and like listening to your body. But at the same time, I was still like giving people meal plans and like recommending certain like portion sizes to eat. Um, and yeah, still like helping them, quote unquote, helping them uh, lose weight if like that's what they wanted to do. Um, so it wasn't until it was honestly only about like 
four years ago, I think, that I stumbled upon intuitive eating. So intuitive eating, the book was written by two dietitians, the first version back in the 90s, early 90s. Mm. Um, and I was searching for like some continuing education stuff. And I was like, let me like look for some mind leading things. And this course popped up and I was like, oh, I think that's similar. No, it, I mean, mindful eating certainly like has a component with intuitive eating, but it's not the same thing. And yeah, in the first session, Evelyn Triboli, who's one of the founders of um, the intuitive eating framework, you know, dropped like all the weight science onto us and like all the research that there's like no link between, there's an association between higher weight and health, but no causation. And then, like, you add in all these layers of, like, weight stigma and weight bias and how harmful that is and how harmful weight cycling is for our health, like the yo-yo dieting. Mm -hmm. And I was just, like, mind blown. And so that – and it made so much sense to me, too, at that point, looking back at my own journey and looking back at my clients who, like, yeah, people would lose weight, but then they'd come back, like, six months, a year later, being feeling, like, so much shame, feeling like a failure, like, oh, I gained it back, we got to do it again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, what's wrong with me that, like, I can't help them – do this sustainably. And I was never a huge, like, restriction, cut stuff out. Um, and I was like, oh, this is why. <laughs> mm, I love that. Can you explain to us what intuitive eating is? Oh, yeah, is? yeah, yeah. Explain. Yeah, that. sure. So um, intuitive eating, like I said, it was a framework that was developed by these two dietitians back in the 90s. They actually just released the fourth edition of the book under that name, Intuitive Eating, this summer um, in June. So intuitive eating, I like to describe it as um, you know, we're all born natural intuitive eaters. Like you look at any baby, you look at any toddler, provided that they have like access to enough food and they're given a variety of food, they naturally balance out what they need, right? Like a baby cries, it's hungry, you feed it, it stops crying, <laughs> it, it stops when it's done, and then a few hours later it cries again and just like the cycle repeats, mm-hmm. um, you know, barring any kind of like other factors. Um, and same thing with toddlers, and we see this in the research. Like with toddlers, they're not looking at the plate and being like, mm, you know, I had like bread at lunch, I shouldn't have bread again at dinner, or like, oh, this is too much sugar. They will naturally eat, you know, without you putting any restrictions on this. And I see this, I see this with my niece and nephew now, and I've had friends for years that have told me this. You know, you put, I was babysitting my niece and nephew a couple weeks ago, and I made mac and cheese, like the good stuff, like craft mac and cheese. Ooh, I saw when you posted this. Yeah, I posted it because I was like, this is amazing. And like some type of vegetable and lentils, like the Trader Joe's, I'm obsessed with these, the Trader Joe's, like um, steamed lentils um, and like yogurt. And so I put those four things on the plate. So the first night when I made that kind of thing, neither one of my niece or nephew, they're twins, they're three and a half, neither one of them touched the mac and cheese. Neither one of them, like I ate all the mac and cheese. (laughs) They ate, my nephew asked for like thirds and fourths of the lentils and the plain Greek yogurt that I had put on his plate. Mm -hmm. And then then the next night I offer like a similar thing and they eat all the mac and cheese. Yeah. But there's none of this like, ooh, I was good or I was bad. They're just like literally listening to their bodies. How old are they? So that's really like, they're three and a half. Okay. Yeah. So cute. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So it's just like. You know, when you think about intuitive eating, it's really, like, getting back to that. It's getting back to, like, rejecting all of this, like, external, like, rules, restrictions, ideas about good, bad, better, worse, healthy, unhealthy, and getting back in connection to your body. So to your body's cues around hunger, like, honoring that hunger, you know, knowing what foods are satisfying, knowing what foods taste good to you, knowing what foods feel good in your body, 
And instead of eating for like restriction or like, oh, I shouldn't have that or I got to be careful. It's like, no, I'm going to eat to like take care of my body. So like Mm -hmm. making decisions from a place of self-care as opposed to to restriction. Mm -hmm. Um, And really it's about like respecting your body, including like what your body wants and needs. Um, Also, that includes like respecting your body's, you know, weight and shape, like whatever that, you know, may be. Yeah. What did your client base look like previous to like kind of making this switch? Like when somebody would come to you, what would they, their concerns kind of be? And then what would your general plan of action be like to kind of like walk them through whatever it is? Like, like if we, I've never really spoken to a nutritionist or been been to a nutritionist. So I'm curious to see the dip, to know the difference between like the old way and sort of the new way. And really I'm interested in this because what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but oftentimes when you speak to people, and it's oftentimes so cultural, people who are used to eating things with a lot of salt or that are fried or what have you, and you talk about like salads, their first thought is like, well, there's no flavor to that. And it's like, mm-hmm. you and I both know that it's a palate shift, but it's just like changing the way that your body responds to things. And so mm-hmm. I guess my, I'm curious, like how do you get people to just like start, to start wanting the things that we want them to want and like changing the way that they look at the foods that they're eating um well to answer the first part of that so yeah i mean i used to do like weight loss counseling um so primarily honestly like most of who i was working with is like similar to who it is now Mm -hmm. so i primarily work with women um anywhere from like 20s through like 40s 50s And yeah, it was like weight loss, but it was like they wanted something sustainable. Um, They liked the like mindfulness kind of approach. So yeah, it was interesting because I was kind of, you know, what one of my mentors calls like splinter ass. Like I was sort of doing like a little bit of both. Like I was like, yes, I can help you lose weight, Um, you know, but also we're going to listen to your body. So we talk about like hunger cues, but then I'd be like, try to have three cups of vegetables a day, which Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with their body. That has to do with like me putting something on them. Or, like, certain calorie levels or stuff like that. So I was, like, one foot in on both sides. And really, as I've learned, like, that just, when you're trying to follow these external rules, when you haven't connected to your body yet, Mm -hmm. um, it keeps you in this, like, the dieting cycle that we see of, like, okay, I've got to, like, lose weight or I've been, like, so out of control with food. i got to, like, get back on track. Right. right? Like, let me, you know, whether that's, like, when I'm saying dieting, too, I just want to be clear, like, that's, like, keto or Atkins or Weight Watchers, but that also means like any kind of external restriction of like, okay, I'm going to get back on track. I'm like going to not have sugar for a little bit. Right. Or I'm going to like cut this thing out. Like, because what happens is our body responds to any type of restriction like that by thinking that we're starving and our bodies are still wired, right? From like thousands of years ago. So even though for those of us who are food secure, there's food around, our body doesn't know that. So like when you restrict or even like mental restriction of thinking like, oh, this is bad for me, I shouldn't have it, or like, oh, like I'm gonna I'm gonna start again tomorrow, like I'm gonna get back on track tomorrow. Your body interprets those thoughts as like, whoop, starvation's coming, let me increase their appetite, let me increase fat storage, let me increase the cravings, increase hunger cues. Mm-hmm. Cause it's literally thinking that you're gonna starve and die. Right, oh my um, God, that's crazy to me and makes so much sense at the same time. Yeah. 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 And that's why we see, right, this, like, I think most of us can relate to this of, like, okay, I'm going to, like, cut this thing out. Or I'm going to cut down on sugar. I'm not going to eat as much. And, yeah, we can do it for a little bit, days, weeks, sometimes months. Eventually, it boomerangs back over and we, right. like, quote, fall off the wagon and, like, lose control. Right. Um, 
So intuitive eating really allows you to, you know, for honestly, so gentle nutrition, intuitive eating has 10 principles and it's not like a step-by-step thing at all. It's really like a framework and like a lens through which we can approach health and, and nutrition and well-being. But honestly, I talk very little with my clients about nutrition because most of the people I work with know way the fuck too much about nutrition and they're like <laughs> all up in their heads. They're yeah, like yeah. disconnected from their body. They know the calories and everything. They know the nutrients and everything. They know the portions. And like there's, there's so like dis- a rational connection, but there's not like a like a human connection to it, which right. is why they're coming <laughs> to see you now. Yeah. Yeah. Because like think about it, like the vast majority of people at this point, like know that vegetables are good for you. Totally. And like, yeah. right. Like no yeah. one's going to be like, what's nutritious? Like, no, right. people know, like the knowledge is not the issue. And I think that was a big shift for me. And also in how I was trained, it was a lot of like education of like, just educate people of like what's in their food and then they'll eat better. And it was yeah. like, no, that is not what makes sustainable change at all. Well, and two, as I imagine, it's like you have to eat to survive, right, as a human being. So like exactly what you said, we all know how to eat. We all know how to stay alive. So by the time somebody's coming to you and is willing to pay money for you to teach them how to eat, <laughs> They've already taught themselves enough. Like they've already done the breeding. They've like done everything for free that they could have possibly done. And at that point, they're coming to you like, "Bitch, I can't do anymore." Like, like so honestly, like yeah. yeah. And that's the kind of stuff. Like all of our the like media information and like the vast majority of information we have around like health and nutrition and like weight is harmful because like it gets us up in our heads, gets completely disconnected from our body, and it keeps us in that like cycle of like dieting, doing it for a little bit, falling off the wagon, feeling guilty, trying to do it again, falling off the wagon, being like, oh shit. And just like we keep going in this cycle of like on or off a diet or an eating plan or whatever you want to call it. So, so yeah, you know, the work that I do with my clients, I mean, I compare a lot to therapy. Like I'm like, everyone's been in therapy. It's like therapy, but like specific to your relationship to food and your relationship with your body. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot of psychiatry, like a lot of inner work, first of all, but then just like figuring out, like you were saying therapy, like why you look at things the way that you do and how to like fix those things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I try to, you know, because I think a lot of times we try to, as humans and certainly like white supremacy is like fix stuff, like what's broken, we got to fix it, we got to be better. And so that's like so much of those of us raised in this like white supremacy culture that is America. Like, that's what's been so drilled into us. We got to, like, fix ourselves. Mm -hmm. And honestly, what I find is that it's, like, that fixing that keeps us in this cycle of, like, just being disconnected from ourselves. So, so yes, to your point of it is a lot of, like, unpacking and of, like, Mm -hmm. where'd you learn your beliefs around food, around body size, around, like, your value and your worth and, like, what it means to be a certain size or to eat certain foods. So there's a lot of like unpacking, unlearning about, Mm. you know, diet culture is not a modern day thing. Diet culture has been around for hundreds of years. Actually started the book Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings is amazing. And she talks about how our countries, so like America, but also like other like Western and like Eurocentric societies, this like fat phobia or like fear of fatness began during the rise of the transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. And it was like white Europeans and Americans were trying to make black people like the societal other. Mm -hmm. And like they had a different body type. And so they othered 
fat bodies. Right. And they're trying to other black bodies. In doing so, they othered and marginalized fat bodies along with that. Right. And so, like, white folks and then certainly people of color, too, tried to, like, distance themselves. They're like, I don't want to be othered. Right. And this is, that's, like, along with some other factors, um, like the rise of Protestantism and, like, morality in food, you know, and, like, sexism and patriarchy and... Mm -hmm. You know, every time we see women get a foothold in society over the last hundreds of years, like another beauty or body ideal like comes along to be like harder for us to reach because it keeps us spending all this time and energy trying to make our body look a certain way. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. I mean, there's just like really, it's exhausting thinking about it. There's just things that you can use your, like spend your time on, you know? And your brain power. your brain power, yeah. Then besides like your body and like, do you feel like when people come to you, I assume that your patients or clients, I'm not sure how you refer to them, when they come to you, they already know kind of what your main focus is. Are they usually coming to you because they know that you have this very intuitive and mindful approach to health and wellness? At this point, yes. I mean, you know, I've been doing this for several years now and like my messaging is super consistent across, you know, my website, my blog, my social media. Um, And I do, my work is, I work private pay, so I'm not in network with insurance. And so, you know, the main way that people find me is through Googling and podcasts and like media stuff that I do. And with all of that, my message is like consistent. And so, you know, and this is really kind of like what I'm speaking about. So yeah, by the time people find me often now, so intuitive eating has, uh, you know, three or three, four years ago, like I didn't even know what it was. And now it's like, it was on like some list of 2020, like trends, um, earlier this year. So it's becoming more like widely known or like understood. So at this point, honestly, most of the people who reach out, you know, either read the book or have been like following stuff on social media and are like, okay, intellectually, this makes so much sense. But like when I try to actually like put it into practice, I'm getting stuck. And that's right. like most of the people I work with at this point. Yeah. Right. So are these people, do they ever still have the concern of like, I would like to lose weight? Or most of the time, is it like, I just want to have a healthy relationship with food? Yeah, great question. So yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of the time, for sure, there's still part of them that's like, I don't feel comfortable in my body. I don't feel confident in my body. I There's part of me that would want to lose weight. And there's also part of them that like, is starting to learn and can see like, okay, I know when I look back at my history with this, my weight and my, it's just like yo-yoed up and down I've like gained and lost the same amount of pounds mm-hmm. or like a lot of people say like um what you're saying about like looking at this photo of yourself as a kid and being like I was totally normal right. they're like I look back to when I first started dieting I looked totally fine like right. I wish I could because actually dieting is associated with increased weight gain um because like 66 mm-hmm. percent of people who lose weight on a diet gain back more than they lost right 95 percent will regain the weight over two to five years yeah. and then like two-thirds will gain back I believe more. it when clients come to you, what's like the most common diet that they've said that they've been on? Um, I mean, I think it varies. Like certainly people that have been dieting for decades, like everyone's done Weight Watchers. (laughs) You know, most people have done Weight Watchers. Um, I think nowadays like keto and intermittent fasting are like Mm. the two popular ones. Whole30 for sure. Whole30 is a big one. Oh yeah. Um, You know, especially people like in their 20s and 30s and even 40s. I feel like Whole30 is like cornered that market of <laughs> marketing to people. Um, oh, yeah, excuse, I've got a question for you, not to cut you off, I'm sorry, but I feel like 
I'm interested in what you're talking about because I, so I grew up and like I was saying I always thought that I was really heavy and then turns out I wasn't. But then when I was in high school, I was very heavy. And I think exactly what you were saying, just like put on sort of puberty weight. And because I saw the same thing happen with my younger sister, once we turned like 18, 19, I moved to New York, learned about how to eat, learned more about food and started walking more and just exercising more. And it's like the baby fat melted off me and I lost like 50 pounds, you know. But I'm curious because I, I'm wondering what your opinion is on the way that our country speaks about food and nutrition in terms of the capitalism in that, like, you know, in the 90s, it was all fat free and come to find out that it was actually like the sugar companies were paying the people to put it that it was fat free and sugar was killing everybody. Right. So it's sort of like the, the idea of consumers not really having a full grasp on the way that the human body actually works, like that we're made up of cells that need nutrients and water to fully form, to like work properly. And also the idea of like food deserts, right? The idea of um, living in places not in New York City, and it's very difficult to eat well. As soon as, well, I guess everybody's sitting at home now, so it's a little bit different, but like I grew up in a place where the only rest, and probably the same for you, because it sounds pretty similar. The only like restaurants were McDonald's. Like a Chinese restaurant. There wasn't any place to like actually eat out. And when mm-hmm. I moved to New York, there's so many options. Like it's a vegan's these I mean in two thousand one it was a vegan's paradise. Like especially like these yeah. days, there's just so so much. <laughs> yeah. And I I, tr- I don't truly believe this because I don't know much about the rest of the country, but I have a hankering of an idea that a lot of it has to do with the availability of healthy foods, one the knowledge of how the body works too. And three is I was actually just speaking to um, one of my black lady doctors and I was like, girl, people talk a lot of shit about white people cooking, but white people invented salads, right? She's like, you know they did. <laughs> I'm like, there's, there's like, a good salad. Like when I was growing up, I'd be like, ew, salad, because I would just think it was like lettuce with like nothing. And then I moved yeah. to New York and I learned about like, no, good salad. It's just like a bunch of healthy shit and different flavors and yeah. textures. And uh, girl, who doesn't love a big salad? Big I salad's know. delicious. It's thank true. You. First of all, thank you, white people, for, for salads. You're welcome. You hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But so well But it's such a culture. It's a difference in culture, too, about how yeah. we eat and the types of food that we eat yeah, and, where and you so live. and where you live and so I'm kind of <laughs> curious maybe this is my own I'm on my own march about this but what your answer to that sort of is and if you you <laughs> agree or disagree and how we can maybe start to fix that no I mean I think that's a really good question I also will just kind of point out like you know like salads is a healthy thing like that's a very white Eurocentric thing right that's not just that like other cultures like if you look at like eating patterns around the world they vary greatly right and you have healthy and like you know I I actually kind of like using I don't love using like healthy and unhealthy because it's turned into like good and bad it's become like more thing but you have people who are healthy you have people who are unhealthy all over the world right so yeah like salads are great I love like like you said like a good salad um but there's 
So like lots of other foods that are good. I also think honestly, what's like even more important than this, because like I know you're bringing up sort of the um, like the food companies and like processed food and stuff like this. Um, I highly recommend the book. I'll just give a shout out to Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. Um, she goes into this like super in depth. But what I will say is that so health is influenced by many factors, right? Our modifiable behaviors and like our individual behaviors only are about like 35% of our health. And of those modifiable behaviors, food and movement are about like 15%. So that means like 85% of our health are from things outside of food and movement. So I'm a dietitian, I'm a personal trainer. Obviously I think these things are important. However, we also have to realize that like they're not as important as our culture makes them appear. Mm -hmm. And the main determinants of health are like the social determinants of health. So like how much education a person has or is able to get, how much money a person makes, food deserts, their access to food or like food security. There's still so much food insecurity in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, access to health care, like let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, access to safe housing, access to clean water, access to reliable transportation, public safety, social support, coping skills, like working, job working conditions, right? And this right. is why we're seeing like with COVID right now, the black and brown communities are being like decimated because all of these things, you know, white people because of white supremacy are on top with these things. And that is really what health is about. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, nutrition and movement play a role, but like, you know, when it comes to like kind of policing people's access or like talking to them about processed foods. Like if someone's working three jobs or has to like travel two hours to go to the grocery store, then like yeah. that is going to be more of an issue for their health than like what they're eating, I guess is my point to yeah. that. Yeah. And really what we see is that like health improves in line with a person's socioeconomic status. Yes. So in yes. other words, like the more money, the more power, the more resources a person has access to, their health is better, mm -hmm. no matter what they're like eating mm -hmm. or moving. So, you know, that's really why when we think of like, um, and this is what I've learned over the last several years, like intuitive eating kind of like brought me into this, but you know, all the kind of different systems of oppression that exist in our country, like that's really what the problem is. Like, it's mm -hmm. not like our food. Right. Um, and yeah, certainly like the fact that processed foods are very cheap and fruits and vegetables are expensive. Like that's again, like a, an oppressive system based on like this commodities and like, or the subsidies that we give certain things, certain farmers. And so, yeah, there's lots of like interrelated factors, but I just think at the end of the day, health is so much more than just individual. Yeah. And I think we have to like, it's also so much more than physical, right? Like mm. mental, mental health, mm. just as important as physical health. Totally. And you know, I mean, I'm not sure what you girls think, but like I've certainly like myself and most of my clients, like they will tell you when they like were like eating their healthiest and like exercising the best and were like maybe physically healthiest, their mental and emotional health was shit because they were like so stressed and like thinking about this all the time. Mm. So I think there's just like a balance too. Yeah. Yes. I like I that you that. I like that you're speaking about food as health. Overall health. Yeah. Right? That's really cool. Mm -hmm. I don't really hear very many people speaking about that in that sense, but you're absolutely right. Totally. Yeah. It's so crazy that this thing that we need to survive, which is food, has created so many fucked up ways for us to like live and think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. kind of crazy. It's created a lot of great ways to live and think too. And it's also created a lot of great ways, totally. Yeah. I think also, right, in our society specifically, it's really... 
I guess it also depends, you know, like growing up, I had a mom who definitely had issues with food mm -hmm. and that was definitely put on me and made me feel ashamed if I gained weight, you know? And I think it's something that even as a 32 year old woman, I still have to like keep stuffing away, you know? Yeah. It's like an active thing that maybe for the rest of my life I'll have to mm -hmm. deal with. I do yeah. feel like at this point in my life, I guess without realizing it, I do eat intuitively. Like I was saying before, I'd like to eat healthily, but I also, on Sunday, I was like, I haven't had a cheeseburger in like two months. I need one. And I got yeah. one, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, and then for dinner I had like soup and like a little quesadilla. And mm -hmm. whereas in the past, I definitely would have been like, I had a burger today. I'm not eating anything else. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. it. Well, and you bring up a great point, too, of just, like, you know, one of, like, the biggest misconceptions or, like, when I talk to people about this, like, one of the first things I always hear is, like, you know, with because with intuitive eating, it's a lot around, like, unconditional permission to eat and, like, allowing yourself to keep these foods around. And people are like, oh, well, if I, you know, allow, if I, like, eat whatever I want, allow myself to eat whatever I want, I'm only going to want ice cream every night or burgers every day or, like, mac and cheese. And, yes, it can feel like that because we've probably been restricting those things. So like you lift the restriction and what are you going to want? The thing you've been restricting. But, you know, everybody goes through kind of, you can call it like the honeymoon phase or like habituation of like, yeah, like I'll give it a client as an example who mac and cheese was her thing. Mm. It was like, love mac and cheese, but like if it's in the house, I'm going to eat like the whole box. So she decided to like start by trying to like unconditional permission of mac and cheese. So yeah, for the first couple of weeks, she was having a box of mac and cheese like several nights a week. But eventually, like, she habituated to it. It's like, okay, that's there. Is that what I want or no? And when you can make it, like, this neutral decision of, like, I can have this if I want it, but, like, what's going to, like, taste good to me? What am I hungry for? What's going to feel good? Um, it, like, takes this, uh, just makes it kind of more, like, neutral and even and doesn't make it this big, like, oh, my gosh, am I going to be good or bad decision? Yeah. And, like, what we find, and certainly, like, anecdotally through my practice and myself, also through all the research, at this point, there's, like, over 125 studies with intuitive eating and also specifically, like, a weight-inclusive approach, like, not focusing on weight loss for health. And what we find is that, again, provided that there's, like, food security, that people have, like, access to enough food, naturally, like, without exerting any control to, like, you know, try to do balance or try to eat in moderation, like, naturally people will balance that out um, over time, over time. It does not happen overnight. You know, in the, like, six months I'll work with a client, we'll get to the nutrition part probably, like, the very last month. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to, like, unwind all of this other stuff first to, like, reconnect to your body. But once you do, um, and that's, like, the gentle nutrition, like, that's where that can come in. And, like, because, yeah, it's not going to feel great to, like, have a burger and totally. fries. Right? Like, yeah. that's not going to feel good. No, I'd be pooping. <laughs> so perfect. No, it's true, though. It's like the older you get, the it's more it's like you – I'll speak for myself. I need nutrients. I need water. I need, like, like I need things to make my cells work and to give me energy. Yeah. You'll walk in here and be like, I need protein. Girl, I will start <laughs> seeing in black and white, and I'm like, I need protein, and literally <laughs> come back to life, and it's like, oh – all right, maybe eat before it gets to that point. But when you're a kid, you I mean, you can eat anything. But you know that that's what it is that you need. Yes. Whereas, like, right, maybe there was a time where I was like, oh, no, I'm hungry, but, like, I have to eat. I don't know. I'll just, like, I'll just get a little salad, even though I'm hungry Dude, for not that. you could eat pancakes that. and bacon and not fall asleep? 
Yeah, that's the thing. I can't eat like that no, during the day. No, who can? Because it's just carbs and sugar. Your body's like, bitch, shut down. We need to process <laughs> all of this. Like when you're old, you it's just, true. Right? I, I definitely am more in tune with my body, and I eat to like sustain myself for the work day. Yes, but you've got to get to that point. You have that's to. Why get I can't to the have point. the tuna melt, and I can't eat the whole yes. thing when I get it. And I know you. There's know. this Sometimes amazing like tuna feet. melt panini down the block. It's huge. It's huge, and it's on this like buttered bread, ciabatta bread. And so much mayonnaise, and it's so good. But I accidentally ate the whole thing at once the other day, and I could barely make it through the day. I was yeah. so tired, and my stomach really hurt. Yeah. So now I know I eat half first and then see how I feel. Well, that's such a great example, too, of like, okay, you know, and you gave it with the, the burger as well, of like, okay, in the past, you'd be like, oh, my God, I was, like, so bad. I ate this whole tuna sandwich. And, like, you know, a lot of my clients will, like, beat themselves up about that and then be like, I got to do better tomorrow. But now it's just like, okay, no, that's like a piece of data of like, okay, I found out that when I eat this tuna sandwich, <laughs> data, yeah. yes, it tastes good, but like, oh my God, I'm only going to be able to do this when it's like the end of the day and I don't have anything yeah. to do afterwards, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. And so now you know that, like, so intuitive eating is like both body and brain knowledge. And that's where like the brain part comes in. There might be, a, you know, I certainly have had nights where I'm like, oh, I really want a burger and fries. And then I'll be like okay, I know the last time I had one, I slept awful because I had, like, awful acid reflux, another benefit of getting older. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I haven't slept well the last few nights, so I don't actually think I'm going to get that tonight because I really need to sleep well. And there might be another time where I'm like, I'm getting the burger. Like, if I don't sleep well tonight, it's fine. Yeah. So again, it's not, like, good, bad. It's not all or nothing. There's also this, like, belief that, like, the clock resets at midnight and then it's, like, a new day. It's, like, right. no. Our body doesn't work like that. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's really, like, the bigger picture than, like, the day-to-day or even, like, mm. the meal thing. Mm. I will say, too, that I think – I'm not sure. I haven't been to the doctor in a little bit, so I don't know what my weight is now. But I'm pretty sure – well, I know based on a pair of old jeans that I have, my favorite vintage jeans that fit me, <laughs> that I'm probably about the same weight that I was – maybe like seven eight or nine years ago except I probably eat now without thinking so hard about it you know Mm -hmm. where I will whereas like back then it was just like oh my god like okay what am I eating for breakfast lunch and dinner Mm -hmm. you know like I have to like plan it out in my head I have to know whether it was a control thing or trying to be skinny thing or both so it's interesting because it also goes to show you that being able to eat whatever you want doesn't mean that you will like gain 30 pounds instantly because I'm sure that that's a misconception. Yeah, totally. And you know, that goes back to like the idea of set point theory that states that, um, you know, every human has a set point weight where like, this is where their body is like wired to be at. And it's not like a specific weight. It's actually a range of like 10 to 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now, and also to say that set point if you think of like bell curves, that set point is not in a quote normal BMI for everybody. Some people, yes, but it's also going to be people like who are in higher BMIs. Like body diversity, weight diversity is the same as like height diversity or like foot size diversity. We're all not meant to be like five, six, right? There's right. like a big diversity. It's the same with weight. Um, and so there are people who set, so it sounds like your set point is like kind of where you're at right now. Like, set point stay this is- way so I can wear these jeans. <laughs> my favorites you can, get, you can get them taken out it's all right yeah <laughs> but also like as we ate like our body is not meant to stay the same from the time we're 17 to the time that we're like 80 like it's mm-hmm. not it mm-hmm. is not going to and i think we tend to like 
resist that a lot. Um, understandably, right? Understandably, because our culture is awful to yeah, people. Man. With their body. Our culture is awful. I hate that up. people have to think about this so much. Like, I yeah. used to think about this all the time, and I feel very lucky that, like, I don't know, I was saying this to our friend before because I, when I was younger, I was so, I spent so much time unhappy with my body that like, I'm so happy to be in the body that I'm in right now that I don't even think about it. Same. But that's like so. That's a good way of, that's a great way of saying but, that. But you know, I think that's very lucky. I, it's, I hate that other people at 34 years old have to waste their fucking time thinking about this shit. I know. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I know. I'm sure that Instagram also makes it worse for people. Or better because there is a lot of body positivity, body positivity on there. Honestly, Lizzo, yo, Lizzo yeah, loves herself. And I'm just like, yo, uh, give, like, yeah. I love that, man. Love her. It's so yeah, good. Same. It's so refreshing. It's no. just like, yeah, and why shouldn't you love yourself? We should all love ourselves the way Lizzo loves herself. Seriously. I love myself the way Lizzo loves herself. Same. Even my saggy tits. <laughs> same. <laughs> um, I do have one question. If someone comes to you, they, they want to work with you, and they are, like, vegan or vegetarian, are you cool with that? Like, will you still be able to work with them on intuitive eating and mindful eating? Yeah, I mean, so that's like the beauty with the intuitive eating framework. Like I said before, it's kind of this like lens through which we can approach health and nutrition. So it's applicable for like everything. It's applicable for like, yeah, vegan, vegetarian. It's applicable for people with diabetes. It's applicable for like PCOS, like heart disease. Like, you know, the primarily, primarily I work with people who are looking to like get out of that chronic dieting cycle and are like struggling with body image and are really trying to work on that. But I have a couple other dietitians in my practice who like one specializes in like GI and like IBD and IBS, mm. um, another like PCOS and women's health. So like, you know, you can, you know, use this framework and this lens like to work through any kind of health and nutrition. And that's what I think is so beneficial. And it's like such a positive you know, because again, we're like stepping outside of that restrictive cycle. Because even if like, let's just use diabetes for an example, you might not be like, okay, I need to lose weight. You might be like, I gotta get my diabetes under control. But the same thing is going to happen if you start to set up all these restrictions yeah. in a way when you're disconnected from your body. The same thing from that like dieting cycle, weight related, it's going to happen with this too. Totally. So I just think that it's like a really amazing approach um, that can work you know, you can use it in a in a variety of, of frameworks. Totally. It sounds amazing. I think that we should all, too, is, like, listen. I mean, especially as women, we should all be listening to our bodies. And just, like, there's so much paying that attention are, to paying it. attention to, like, our bodies and to, like, our gut in, like, both the physical sense but also in, <laughs> in the, like, what, theoretical sense, I suppose? In that, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, man, your gut doesn't lie to you. Like, your body doesn't lie to you. It tells you what it needs. We're just told to not listen to it and to listen to that guy instead yeah exactly and I think that is the thing I think that can be like so powerful and this is where I see like the turning point a lot of the people I work with of realizing that like our society purposefully like tries to disconnect us from our bodies because Virgie Tovar who's amazing she's a fat activist she had an Instagram post a couple months ago that was like you know, it is really hard to be a fat person, to be a BIPOC person, to be a disabled person Mm. in this society, right? And so, like, disconnection can be a coping mechanism, but also, like, we are, you know, our society has kind of, like, trained us to disconnect because if we were to connect, we'd be like, fuck this shit, and, like, and that's, like, what we're seeing, right? Like, we are now seeing, like, more and more of that 
of like fuck this shit of like yeah. white people having all the power and like like that's what we're seeing right and that yes. is why white supremacy tries to keep all of that down yeah so it's like I think when you can like make this connection to like okay it's not just that I hate my body right it's like this bigger thing yes. and that still might mean that you might hate your body but right. like knowing that you can feel better in your body even if it doesn't change or yes. even if you gain weight I yeah. think is like so powerful and just like connecting it to this like bigger these systems of oppression yeah totally. as well eliza <laughs> eliza i don't know what i need to be eliza what's her last name Who she's is she? got she's a comedian and she's got a show on netflix oh yes i know who she is she's got a sketch comedy show doesn't matter watch it at the beginning of the pandemic eliza i'll figure it out i'll put it in the show notes there's this one skit that they do and it's like like um an aa meeting but it's all women and they're basically standing up and it's like women are not funny i don't love myself i don't smile like just all of like repeating this brainwashing is for women who believe in themselves too much to like try to come back down into the patriarchy and I just love the satire of it all because it's like, here's a bitch who knows exactly who the fuck she is and she's making fun of all of y'all right now. <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, that's so good. So it's like, true, you're absolutely right. It's like it. they want us to not know who yeah. we are and to not know our power and to not know no, how... Listen to our intuition. Listen to our intuition, honestly. And once you do tap into that shit, witchy things happen. Totally. I mean, think about totally. it. If you think too much like that, then you won't buy all these, like keto products exactly if you love yourself why would you buy seven pairs of anything (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah no it's so it's so true and so when I started doing this work I was like okay I'm gonna like help people with intuitive eating and like this is exactly what I realized is that like food is actually not the problem like the problem is not with food like food is a symptom of the problem and like this is what excites me so much and like this is what I wrote my book on was like how food can be this entry point into reconnecting with ourselves and into like becoming who we really are aside from like who society says we should be. And like, like you brought up too about like connecting to your intuition, like intuition around food. Once you start listening to that, it's like bigger and bigger things start opening up and you start trusting yourself so much more. And that's what I think is so cool with this. Like there's many ways that you can get there. Like my friend Hannah says how we're all going up the same mountain, but just different paths. But, like, with the work that I do, it's, like, using food as that entry point, food and, like, our relationship to food and our body to, like, you know, become more connected to ourselves and, like, more in align with who we want to be. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. It's some, we eat multiple times a day every day. Yes. You know, if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, that's going to fuck up so many aspects of your life, really. It's true. Yeah. It's true. You know? I want to know a little bit about your book. And yeah. what inspired you and what it's about? Sure. Well, it's called Unapologetic Eating. And so it was something I hadn't thought too much about, honestly. And I had a publisher reach out last fall. And they're like, hey, have you ever wanted to write a book? And I, like, thought this was, like, not a real thing. So I, like, almost <laughs> didn't respond to the email. And I was like, well, what the hell? I'll just, like, get on a call with this guy. And he says this. And, like, the first thing that came out of my mouth is, like, a version of what I just said to you. Of, like, you know, I love how – because – I mean, I think this publisher, because I have some colleagues publishing books with them too, and they're like, oh, cool, like this intuitive eating thing is getting popular, and then they looked into it, and he's like, this makes sense, we want to publish books on this. And I was like, yeah, you know, the thing that's cool to me about intuitive eating is that it like opens up all this other stuff. So the clients I work with, they start to trust themselves around food, know what foods they like, know what foods make them feel good, then they start setting boundaries with like family members and friends and work. 
And then they start like these like Damn. big like, yeah. things that they're yeah. just like, oh, I should, I should do this or I should want to do this. They start being like, wait, do I really want? And start questioning like more and more. Mm-hmm. So I literally like off the cuff say this to this guy on the phone. And he's like, that sounds great. And so, yeah, and then really, as I obviously fleshed the book out more, so the book is broken into four parts. So the first section is fixing, and it's all about, like, why we diet and why it's not about the food, but about control, oppression, all of these things. And then it's also, you know, the first section also goes into, like, why dieting doesn't work, so this dieting cycle I keep mentioning, the truth about health and weight and about how they're not actually connected. And then, so it's, like, fixing, um, allowing, feeling, growing. So it's, like, okay, I'm going to stop fixing myself. I'm going to allow myself to kind of just be And this is where like intuitive eating can come in and like mindfulness work. There's a whole chapter on mindfulness, Mm -hmm. not mindful eating necessarily, but mindfulness in terms of just like Mm -hmm. getting into our bodies Mm -hmm. Um, and then feeling about like using self-compassion, sitting with discomfort because there's oh like such a huge part of this process is like the grief of being like, okay, I might never be in a body that's accepted by society. Mm -hmm. Like I might never you know, by giving up on dieting, I'm giving up on potentially being accepted by, like, this culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, like, sitting with discomfort, sitting with grief, and then from there, the growing. So, you know, that was really fun to do, too, of, like, okay, let's discover, like, who are you underneath, like, some of this shoulds that society puts on and, like, values work and self-discovery, embodiment work about, like, getting back into your body, Um, and then the last chapter is about like stepping into your power and then like, okay, so it's sort of like traveling, you know, through all of this. And I also wrote it to be, there's like a ton of like breakout boxes and reflection prompts because I wanted it to be both educational, but also really practical Mm -hmm. so that you can like go through it like section by section and really like work on the different pieces as well. Mm -hmm. That sounds awesome. That does sound awesome. It sounds realistic. It sounds like more attainable. Mm-hmm. It's just more truthful, right? About like what is it that we're really getting down to the bottom of? Like if this is really a change that you want to make, like it's hard to look in the mirror, right? It's hard to change. It's hard to work on yourself. It sucks. It's not like you said. It's sitting yeah. in discomfort. It's really uncomfortable, but like mm-hmm. the rewards are so great. And to have somebody yeah. to like guide you through that and not just be like, all right, so you want to lose ten pounds? Here's this. Like right. to really care enough to be like, girl, let's change your life. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. Or a guy. Or yeah. a person. I person. remember, so again, I've never seen a nutritionist or a dietitian, but just a real quick memory. I had this client who wanted to lose some weight for her wedding, which I'm sure in like the dietitian world is very common. And she, I mean, I didn't. And also sounds terrible. Why do you just want to lose weight for a day? So weird. So you want to look like yourself. I actually had we'll a cheeseburger and fries the night before my wedding. That's a weird concept. And then I was like, shit, I'm going to be bloated, but. You know, I wanted to just look like how I always look. I don't want to no. look back in a year and be like, well, I'm back to my old self yeah, now. That's but weird. I looked like this for my wedding. It's strange. Yeah. Yeah. Diet culture. Any- yeah. <laughs> so anyway, she was like, I think she wanted to lose like 15 or 20 pounds, something. So That's a lot of weight. Yeah. And so we talked about it. And then when I saw her the next month for her wax, she was like, um, oh, I started seeing this nutritionist. And she told me about the plan that she's on. And it was basically just like eating protein and vegetables. And then at night, you were allowed one treat and it could be either a certain amount of Cheerios dry or a glass of wine. Oh my God. And I thought that was was the Cheerios. So former alcoholics. Recovering alcoholics, recovering alcoholics, choosing the Cheerios. That's about it. In my head, I remember thinking I'd take half a glass of wine 
and half of the jury. <laughs> but the I also booze. remember at the time. Somebody's t- just going to turn into sugar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, this sounds, like, I knew in my head it sounded crazy. I wasn't going to, whatever, she's, pay, she's paying money for this. Right, not your place. Yeah, and I, but then I remember also thinking, like, well, this is obviously, like, a temporary thing, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. She's got a year to lose this weight or less than a year. I didn't think much of it. And then I remember after she got married, she was telling me that she was still sticking with that. And I was just like, how the fuck are you enjoying your life? Mm-hmm. Unless you don't drink, maybe a few Cheerios at night is like oh. enough. I don't know. No, but uh, that's never that enough. enough for me. <laughs> right. I thought that it was so nuts. And I, that's how, honestly, that was maybe like five or six years ago. And since then, I've always thought that that's how it is when you go to see a nutritionist. Honestly. Until today. That's a lot of people's, you know, uh, perception and not for the wrong reason. There are a lot of nutritionists and dietitians who do that. And I think that also speaks to like, you know, and again, our culture has just made food like this thing to be feared. Right. Mm-hmm. And like food is fuel and it's like lower calorie, the better. And like this thing to be afraid of and like hunger is a thing to be afraid of. And like food is not just fuel. Like food is pleasure. Food is memories. Food is culture. Um, Japan actually in their like dietary guidelines, they have pleasure as one of the dietary guidelines because like that is an important part of food too, right? Like that is, I mean, sure. There's like evidence that like when you enjoy the food you eat, you absorb more nutrients. So like there's oh, that, Interesting. but also like, which is interesting. Yeah. All that tuna melt nutrients. <laughs> All the mayo. <laughs> but like, it's also the, you know, health and like emotional benefits that you get from from food and from like eating with people and cooking with people and and all of that yeah i think it's also so my grandma is in her 90s i was waiting for grandma yeah and i she's gonna show up at least once (laughs) i definitely (laughs) said this before but she doesn't like vegetables my dad said that she never has that i'm sure at some point in time she was eating some vegetables and she's still alive at 96 but my point is that she she loves to eat sweets she likes a burger you know she'll eat like half the burger and a lot of the fries she's not overweight i don't think she's ever been and she has no health problems and mm-hmm. i just think and maybe she's a very single example but it's just think- an example that like you can eat how you want and like you know and maybe if she eats salads her whole life she'd be exactly the same yeah, maybe she's got the hundred year old grandpa that just drinks whiskey every day has seven <laughs> cigars and lives to hundred and, and my grandma loves diet cokes but i yeah. but i think that's just a good example of like Especially people who are obsessed with eating healthily because they're like, I want to live long and I want to, you know. It's like, I don't know. I'm sure genetics plays a very big role. Yeah. Because yeah. all those people are happy for the most part. My grandma eats waffles and ice cream sometimes for dinner. I'm not saying – she's also old, so she could do whatever the hell she wants, you know. But it doesn't matter if she doesn't sleep well. Also, this is like yeah. I don't – I'm not co-signing this. I'm yeah. not telling you to go home and eat waffles and ice cream every night. I mean, I have nights where I eat ice cream for dinner, so. Yes, who among us doesn't? Yeah. So that's like, yeah, I mean, and I think too, like that's the, like, you can also like eat super healthy and exercise and like stay at a thin weight and then die at 35 from cancer. Like, right. Right. Like that's what happens. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, there's like this amazing article. I can't remember if it's like vice or Vox. That's like about how diet culture is um, really like our fear of mortality and our fear of dying and like our need especially like western culture to like be in control and be like well i want to like do something to like because we like hate feeling out of control when really Mm -hmm. it's all out of control vast majority of our life is out of our control it's all out of control so but like we want to feel like we're doing something and that's 
you know, where a lot of the like nutrition and, and exercise stuff comes from. And, and I get it, but at the same time, it's like, there's no guarantees. Yeah. There's no guarantees. Totally. Yeah. I also, one more thing. I feel like also the way that I feel about exercising these days, well, I didn't even start working out until I was in my late twenties, but now in my early thirties, my mindset is more like I'm doing this because I can, and I should be grateful that I can and that my body can do any of these things. <laughs> and instead of it being this, like, I need to burn calories so that I can like eat this later or yeah. whatever, because I ate this yesterday. But it's also been like difficult. It's not like I woke up one day and I was like, that's how I'm gonna think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like I kind of had to train my brain. This mm-hmm. diet culture is very interesting. It's very, very interesting. It's, I think it might be- It's fucked up. I don't know, I think this is very cultural, this conversation. This is the first time maybe that I'm on the other side and I'm just like, really? Like, just looking into white America, like, really? All right, guys. Well, like, you know, in the outskirts, I see it also, but I can tell that this is, I've never, I mean, it's never been anything like this. Oh yeah, you don't have a Jewish mother. No, I don't have a Jewish mother. But I also hear this a lot from people and and Mm -hmm. people's parents commenting on their weight and like, oh yeah. And our culture, it's more, everybody's like, you're so skinny, Eat, eat some more. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's so different. No, it's I'm, very interesting. I definitely was always complimented by family when I was thin. Maybe mm-hmm. they wouldn't say, oh, you look thin, but they'd be like, oh, you look great. Mm-hmm. If I gained yeah. weight, they'd either tell me I gained weight or just not say anything. Say nothing. Yeah. And, and I was never, I, I don't feel like I was ever fat. Mm-hmm. So that's fucked up. I know that I definitely told you about I didn't know then, but I'm older now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you thought of one that you'd want to talk about? Oh my gosh. Well, the first one that came to mind, knowing that the two of you being like in skincare was tanning. Like oh. I used to like high school, I was like in tanning beds in the winter and then I was like layering on the baby oil. Oh my God. The Berkshires got tanning beds? You have oh. to. You have to because it's so it's yeah. cold all year. It's cold. Yeah. And actually, my friend's aunt had a tanning bed in her house. What so, the like, fuck? yeah. But everyone. Yeah. That's, right? That's real dedication. Like, so, we, uh, it was always like get six months before prom. It's like, we got Oh my God. <laughs> this is prepare. Like this is like, must be the early 2000s. Like, you guys knew, yeah. you way knew better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your oh, aunt yeah. knew better. <laughs> Were yeah. you very so it was like, Were you And very I also, tan? I don't really burn. So, I mean, I will burn now, but, like, when I was a kid, like, I didn't wear sunscreen, and, like, I mean, mm. after my mom stopped, like, putting it on me, I didn't wear it, and I didn't burn. I would just get, like, really dark. So, like, I didn't have that, like, negative feedback loop of, like, yeah. right. <laughs> right, right, right. You're just like, I um, look great. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, that was the first one that came to mind. The other <laughs> one that came to mind, too, second thought, was padded bras. I used to, I have, like, small boobs, That's and I used to always so wear padded bras. Funny. You're talking yeah. to two wrong gals for that one, unfortunately. <laughs> we both got big, saggy titties. and I Never had that problem. Did you used to wear the bras that were, like, very padded and would make them like the just look, like, oh, yeah. crazy? Oh, yeah. The Victoria's Secret, like, I literally had, like, 12 of them. That's all I bought for, like, <laughs> years. And then it was, like, and now I literally, like, almost the time I don't wear a bra. Or I wear, like, the you know, bralette. like, the bralette. Like, right. No underwear. I'm like, fuck underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it interesting as we get older, the things that we become comfortable with? Mm -hmm. And two is like probably the day that you decided no more padded bras is like kind of like what you're saying about your clients, like getting comfortable in discomfort. Like, girl, you don't have tits. It's okay. 
yeah. put the padded bras down. It's just like accepting it. Right? It accepting the day it. you walked out with a deep V, no push-up bra, you're like, here I am, worlds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it. Made me, yeah. You're yes. so right. It's yeah. like, who, who says, right, that like big boobs are like the beauty ideal? I like, love that's it. That's a beauty ideal. Yeah. So, totally. Yeah. Those are the two that came to mind. No more yeah. tanning. And no more push-up bras. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're but, lucky you don't look like you have a lot of sun damage at all. Oh, thank you. I do have me. I usually don't wear makeup. Yeah. No, you're really lucky. Shit. I know I know my skin and if I ever went I've never been into a tanning bed, surprisingly, and I grew up on Long Island and like everyone around me was going to tanning beds. Yeah. But oh, yeah. shit, my skin would be like crinkled and I would have melasma everywhere. Well, yeah. although I don't know what it's like to wear padded bride, do you know what it's like to wear weave and to take that weave out one day and look at yourself in the mirror and be like, <gasps> girl, this is you. Be comfortable yeah. with it. So I feel you on that one, girl. You got a bad bra. Yeah. I got my weed, but I understand that. Liberation. I understand it Liberation. very well. That's why I can make fun of you a little bit because I know from that thing so well. Liberation yeah. from our consumerist, capitalist, patriarchal, archetypal, patriarchal, article. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love those. Yeah. Those are very relatable to burn your bras and your weaves, girls. <laughs> yeah. It's 2020. Let the titties <laughs> um, thank you so much. I learned a lot before we are done. Just the books that you mentioned, the intuitive mm-hmm. eating. It's just called intuitive eating. That book. Mm-hmm. I can send you the links if you want. So you have the direct. Yeah, ones. we can post I mentioned that. that anti-diet. And then I think one might also be helpful just given what we spoke about was um, one called Gentle Nutrition, which is actually a friend of mine's writing it. It's coming out in February as well, but it's available for pre-order. And it's all about like what we were talking about. She has like this awesome chapter on like defining health for yourself and what Mm. does that mean and like approaching nutrition without this restrictive lens. And it's really like, there's pieces of that in other books. Like I have like half a chapter about that, but this is like a whole book about it. So mm-hmm. I think that would be a great resource. And what about your book? Can yeah. you tell us the name and when it's yeah. coming out and how people can order it and support you? Sure. Yeah, thank you. It's called Unapologetic Eating. It's available for pre-order now. And as I've learned this year, pre-orders can like make a break or book. Yes. I like now pre-order, I pre-order like everybody's book. Like you have a book, tell me I'm going to pre-order. You're going to pre-order Where can tonight. can we pre-order it on Amazon? Yeah, it's Amazon. Um, it's available anywhere. It's like Amazon Bookshop, Indie Books, Barnes and Noble. Yes. Um, Amazon, you actually will not pay until it ships in February. Perfect. So, so pre-order. Um, cost well, you if you're on a budget, it's cost fine. Cost nothing to help get her on the New York Times bestseller. <gasps> yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, how can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, so my website is alyssaRumsey.com. And then my Instagram is where I spend most of my time online. So that is at AlyssaRumseyRD. And so if someone wanted to make an appointment with you, they can just contact you on either of those yep so the website's probably the best although i have a link in instagram but um i offer discovery calls so we can like chat more and see if it's a good fit and learn more about you and uh so yeah you can do that right on the website cool awesome thank you so much i learned a lot i had a lot of fun too thank you so so much we appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge and time with us yeah of course thank you both for having me on this was really fun hey guys hope you enjoyed that interview i really hope that if eating has been weird for you especially in recent times because of stress and maybe feeling the need to control something in your life that this helped you a little bit also you should definitely follow Alyssa on instagram because 
the things that she posts are so this sounds cheesy as fuck but so inspiring <laughs> they really are though and she really tries to dismantle this fucked up view of how we are supposed to be as women and how we're supposed to look and eat and all these things for sure i learned a ton from Alyssa as well and um I don't know. I just think she's really badass. She is a badass. And I hope that her book makes it on the New York Times bestseller. So oh my God, it's going that. to. Yes. Everybody pre-order her book. It doesn't cost you anything to pre-order. She also mentioned, yeah, literally, you don't have to pay until February when it ships out, I guess. Yeah. And so why not? I'm going to pre-order mine tonight because I think that this will be one of those books. You know when you're like, okay, this is a book I can get on Kindle from the library for two weeks. This is the kind of book that you need to own. Yeah, I can tell. It's like a little Bible. And you should support her because she's awesome. And the work that she's doing, I think, is really, really important. And I think that the nutrition and dietitian industry as a whole could really use this kind of thinking because the idea that all you need to do to lose weight is count calories and work out it's so fucking it's just old yeah and i'm over it yeah, yeah. it's bullshit it is bullshit so it's different everybody is different everybody is different so go visit Alyssa's instagram go visit our instagram at true beauty brooklyn podcast or at true beauty brooklyn and guys, if you like our show, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It'd be really, really great. That's how other people can find us and tell a friend to tell a friend. That'd be fantastic also. Don't leave us a review if you don't like us. Just five stars, please. It's real fucked up. <laughs> Not what friends do. Yeah, friends don't do that. And what else? You can check us out at www.truebeautybrooklynpodcast.com. If you live locally, check us out at the studio. We're in Williamsburg. You can come get a brow. Get a brow? Get two lashes. You can get one brow. Just one brow done. <laughs> wax. Just one wax, one brow, one, one labia. That's it. You can book your appointment at truebeautybrooklyn.com. Don't you dare just show up here and don't you dare call me either. Just go online to the website, make an appointment. And otherwise, we'll see you guys here next week. See you next time. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.